nine people out of 10 are probably thinking, oh my God, you know, thoughts and prayers. I guess my first thought process, because I read the news at 5.05 this morning was, I got to get dressed and I got to get to the South Point and make some bets. Welcome to Props and Hops, a podcast pursuing the best in betting and beer and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your host, Matt Landis, and we've got a special college football preview lined up today with special guest Brad Powers. And first things first, a friendly reminder to everybody, if you're into sports betting and you're in the LA area, then you're invited to a meetup this Friday, August the 12th. That's going to take place at 7 p.m. at We're Pouring in Glendale. I'm organizing this meetup with pro bettors and friends of the show, Joey Isaacs, at Joey Isaacs on Twitter, as well as Porter, who goes by at MLBK's Psychic on Twitter. And both of these guys were just quoted in a pretty cool ESPN article yesterday on props as the future of NFL betting. So it's pretty good timing for a meetup bringing out the best in both the props and the hops. We've got great company to talk some props and all things betting. And War Pouring offers great beer, wine, and food. So again, if you're interested, that's this Friday, August 12th at 7 p.m. at War Pouring in Glendale. And with that meetup right around the corner, we've also got college football kickoff not too far behind that. So Brad Powers, thanks so much for joining the show. Welcome to Props and Hops. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on board. And I'd like to start things off for the unacquainted with just a bit of a, you know, elevator pitch on your background. A lot of people already know it, but bringing us up to speed, how you've gotten from where you started to where you sit today with the 2022 season just about to kick off. Oh, wow. I mean, this is year 14 in the industry, so to speak. I mean, obviously my roles have changed in the industry, but I started way back uh, in Cleveland, Ohio with Phil Steele and North Coast Sports and his preseason college football mag. I was the Mountain West uh, the coordinator, so I just followed Mountain West teams for a couple of seasons, worked my way up, uh, moved out here to Vegas uh, six years ago, and, uh, you know, did, did, did some stuff with pregame. Obviously, I, I'm more, much more heavily involved on the betting side than, than what I was even when I was with Phil Steele. So uh, it's been a natural progression. Uh, I've learned a lot. I've lost a lot. Uh, and, uh, there's a lot more to learn. I'll put it that way. I think a lot of us can stand to benefit from learning more about your story. And I'd love to start by some of the top handicapping factors when it comes to college football. What do you look at when you start to break down the board, excuse me, real early each off season? That's an excellent question. Uh, Obviously it can be complicated, but I'll say this. One of my natural progressions is I've actually you know, simplified things. To me, it's all obviously all about the number for me. What I think I have gotten much better at over the last five, six years is developing a power rating. And I start on that power rating uh, in January and February, believe it or not. Uh, I mean, it starts with, you know, the early entries of the NFL draft where where there are several guys that, you know, were unexpected departures on a team. I start breaking down returning experience that goes into it. And I literally get to the point where early on in the summer, after I watch about 60 different spring games personally, I mean, I go through each position on every single team and do an up-down from where they were at the end of the, the season prior. So 
all that and a lot more, and it's more complicated than maybe I'm even saying now, goes into my power rating. That, I mean, that's the start of my handicap. What is my pure power rating on the game? And then it goes into other factors. I mean, certainly situation, you can look at something. Uh, you know, I think it's more guesswork now. If you'd asked me this question five, six years ago, I would probably would have relied on that a little bit more than I should have. But th- th- that plays a part in the handicapping process. I, I think one thing that I do well now, much more th- than what I used to, is I read the market. I mean, what ha- and, and you know, th- there's some guys that have taught me. I mean, w- what happened the week prior? Was this team bet on, bet against? What do I anticipate? what's going to be the case this upcoming week. So when I'm firing on a lot of early numbers, it's not only betting my number on the game compared to what that opening line is at that book, but also anticipating it is because with legalization are the, you know, the Joe's going to be betting on this particular team. Have the Sharks been betting on or going against this team? All that's mainly, I mean, what what I'm looking at when I'm firing a bunch of plays uh, on a Sunday morning against Circa. Sounds like the mark of a true college football specialist. You're looking at just about everything. And when it comes to the current landscape, you mentioned legalization changing things quite a bit in recent years. Of all the factors you just touched on, for somebody who might be up and coming in the betting space, do any of those factors seem like they might be improperly priced? Some of them are probably fully accounted for, or you just have to be grinding away, following the news cycle very closely. Is there any low-hanging fruit that you recommend somebody who's newer to this space pay particularly close attention to? I would say one thing that I pay attention to more now, it's not necessarily, you know, I respect all my colleagues and whatnot, but, you know, what I find myself, what I'm digesting throughout the course of the week is guys that have information that I don't have. I mean, I believe in my power rating and whatnot, and what do I mean by that? I'm looking at fantasy guys, even in college, you know, because they tend to have the injury reports, narrowed down a lot better than some other people tend to follow on Twitter beat writers that I, I don't care about the gambling experience. Just get me information as far as injuries uh, that, I mean, that's the one thing you can still take advantage of this day in college football. There aren't, you know, obviously <laughs> standardized injury reports like the NFL. And if you can get to that information before the books, and I'm here to tell you, you still can, that can lead to, you know, having at least more profits at the end of the season than not. So I, I think, look, if you want to uh, college football with 131 teams is a difficult process. If you're power rating each one, I would argue that you need to be doing it in the off season, just picking it up and, you know, spending a little bit of time as a hobby. I would say it's probably too much of a daunting task. If you just isolate a conference or two, look at the injury reports, maybe power rate just that conference or two. I think that would be a good start for anybody starting off in this business. And when it comes to power rating the entire nation, as you do, (laughs) I think about something you shared last week on Twitter at Brad Powers seven games with the biggest line movement since the numbers opened. A lot of these games have moved by more than a touchdown. I think I'm making a safe assumption in assuming that you're behind some of that movement. And I'd be curious if that's a fair assumption to get your take on the approach potentially coming back now and playing the other side as a middle or hedging opportunity versus just letting it ride with what could be major closing line value come kickoff. Yeah. So I I am a part of almost all those that that have been mentioned, whether it's game of the year or, or, you know, early week zero week one bets. I'm, I tend to be involved. I mean, I, I have probably bet almost every single week one college football game already. And it's not that, I, re- I don't recommend that for 
just your average person, obviously. It's just I feel like I got to the number early. I thought I had better numbers in the opening lines and whatnot. I thought there was fair limits at those prices, particularly at a place like Circa. Uh, as far as hedging, that's an excellent question, and it's something that I've struggled with, honestly, last three, four years. But as I've you know become more uh, ingrained in this industry, I probably am a little more conservative. I, I used to be pretty greedy and, and go for middles. I, I'm here to tell you, a lot of times I'm just happy having that significant closing line value, with some exceptions. So I'll give you an example of a week one game where I, I've already played it back. Uh, I, I bet Mississippi State in April against Memphis. I laid eight, made the number 14. Believe it or not, I thought that's how far the number was off. I thought it was off about a touchdown. And at one book this summer, a couple weeks ago, that line not only crossed through 14, it crossed through 17. It was 17 and a half. Mississippi State was a favorite. That would have been a bet for me originally. Like if that opening line that I saw at William Hill when I laid eight, if that was 17 and a half, I would have been betting Memphis at that line. So that's my rule of thumb. If it would have been a bet for me at that current number, then sure, I go ahead and fire away. Now, do I take a, a full bet knowing full well that I already have like eight, nine points of closing line value? No, I don't. Uh yeah, I, I tend to play back maybe 30% and something like that situation from what my original bet was. I really like the point that it's a number that you would have bet anyway. So if something has standalone value, then it's not so much just a pure hedge or middle opportunity, yep. but it's a good bet in and of itself. So when you look at it that way, it makes all the sense in the world. And I think a big key to you getting ahead of the market so early in the offseason is the work you do on spring games. I'd love to touch on that for just a moment and get your take on any top takeaways from a betting perspective that you've gathered from watching spring games that most of the country wasn't even thinking about as they were taking place a few months ago. So, I mean, I think a lot of people might roll their eyes and think, oh, what can you get out of a spring game? I'll say this, and I'm sure we'll get into more of it, you know, later. Uh, With the transfer portal and rosters changing uh, and, and true freshmen, obviously early enrollees has become more and more prominent in the last decade or so, and these kids are coming in and they're ready to play. I mean, why wouldn't you, if you're not heavily involved in baseball and some of the other sports, why wouldn't you take a couple hours and really get a good look at teams, uh, especially the quarterback positions? If a guy got, if you're replacing a quarterback, I want to see the guy uh, with, with my own eyes. Uh, and look, people are going to scoff at the eye test. I mean, I still would like to see it if a guy can throw an out pattern. I'm not looking necessarily for stats. A guy throws for 300 yards in a spring game. I'm just looking, does he have command of the offense? Is there, you know, new systems and schemes in place? And how does it look? Um, You know, I'm looking at the linebackers. Does a guy run sideline to sideline very well? I guess I'm looking at it more from a a scouting aspect than, than anything. And, you know, I take that and, you know, put that to gambling use. Uh, I have made bets from spring games. I'll give you one from this year. I mean, I watched Devin Leary, the NC State spring game, and he's making NFL after NFL throw after throw. And uh, I don't care what – I don't care if there was any defense out there. I mean, he's throwing, you know, out patterns across his body, across the field. Mike Glennon, I mean, you can scoff at at him and his lack of success in the NFL, but – he was a former NC State quarterback. He's been in the NFL a long time. He was commentating, and you could tell that he was super impressed at Devin Leary. So I, 
I looked at the Heisman board at that time and thought, oh, my God, I mean, NC State's already a team that could be a borderline top 10 caliber team. Devin Leary looks like a top five, top 10 type quarterback. What's his Heisman odds right now? I looked around. Obviously, shopping is important. 300 to 1. So, I mean, that's just a bet that I made just from watching the spring game. Now, is he going to win the Heisman? No, probably not. But can he make a run like Kenny Pickett did uh, a year ago and is at least sitting there in New York with a Heisman, you know, finalist? I think that's relatively reasonable. So that's just an example of, you know, what I can gain from watching a spring game. And bringing things full circle over the arc of the offseason from spring games to where we sit this week. On Monday, when the coaches poll came out, you shared on Twitter what you consider to be the most overrated and under teams comparing the coaches poll to your power ratings. And if people haven't seen it yet, I'll quickly let them know overrated teams, Houston, Wake Forest, more on them in a bit after some unfortunate news on their quarterback, as well as Baylor being that third overrated team alongside Wake Forest and Houston. Underrated a couple of teams, Tennessee and Penn State. When you can categorize teams as overrated or underrated based on the coaching poll, what kind of game plan does that give you as a better to possibly take advantage of teams that you don't think are properly perceived? Well, keep in mind, uh, when I said overrated, underrated, it's compared to my power rings. It's not like, you know, if I was putting together an AP poll vote, obviously I'm going off of, you know, how many wins is this team going to, you know, win for the upcoming season? And, you know, are they going to be a conference champion or whatnot? Mine is purely on the strength of that team, who would be favored over who on a neutral field. So I thought Tennessee and Penn State not being in the top 25. What, I mean, if you're talking about a Vegas ranking, I mean, these are top 15 caliber teams, let, let alone not being in the top 25 of a coach's pool. So, I mean, that's why I thought there was some, you know, they're underrated. And speaking of that, I did get involved on Tennessee quite a bit this year, but over their win total, I'd still play over seven and a half right now. If you're looking to, to bet, uh, I like their quarterback. I thought they overachieved last year. I was actually impressed with what they did considering the roster turnover a year ago. So, that, that's just my perception of Tennessee. Penn State, even though I think they're, they're vastly underrated, I, you know, I bet Purdue against them in, in week one. So just because it's all number dependent on me, uh, whatever market it is. Uh, the other teams, Baylor coming off an historically great season, relatively inexperienced. Uh, I love Dave Aranda, the coach. Not like I'm anti-Baylor in, in the season win total market, so I just think they're too high in the coaches' poll is all. And then Houston, in any Vegas power ring is not going to be a top 25 team. In fact, they're not even in my top 40. Got it. And Wake Forest, that other team we can touch on yeah. for a moment here. You noted this morning, nothing like jamming kiosks before 6 a.m. in Vegas, fading news of a player who has a serious medical condition. Don't judge me. And when yeah. it comes to betting before 6 a.m. on a Wednesday morning in Vegas, when most of the town is frankly asleep or hungover at that hour, I'd be curious to know, Brad, how much of your routine focuses on building in those opportunities to capitalize on breaking news from a betting standpoint at pretty much any hour of any day? Uh, at this time of year, that's what I'm looking for. Cause I I'm already heavily involved uh, on pretty much, you name it, futures market season, win total week one. What am I looking for to take advantage at this point? Breaking injury news, specifically guys like Sam Hartman, unfortunately has that medical condition but to me, I think he's one of the most top 10 most valuable players in the country. Uh, it's unfortunate that, that that went down. I'll also say it's unfortunate that Wake doesn't play a week one game because, well, they do, but it's against an FCS opponent and there's not a line out. But 
you're taking advantage of season win totals. There's game of the year lines out that you could take advantage of. That there's, you know, I went to South Point this morning. So what am I doing? I, I live relatively close to the South Point. They're open 24/7. I jam, I go to their kiosk. Uh, not that I'm getting a lot down because uh, I they're they're familiar with me a little bit. So uh, I gotta, you know, put the hat down a little bit, look around. I, I try not to draw attention or whatnot, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, any time I wake up, and I, I usually like waking up at 5, you mentioned it, because the rest of, of Vegas tends to be asleep. I'll tell you what's not asleep and what's different than five, six years ago. The market back east starts moving at, at 5 a.m. Pacific time because it's 8 a.m. East Coast time. And that's when, you know, people that are betting into the, all those other sports books, the DraftKings and whatnot, that are available in other states and not in Vegas – those lines are tend to be moving that early. So I find myself waking up at 5 a.m. out here and not all sports book operators aren't in the, in the sports book at that time. So I do what I can. I mean, I uh, there's probably some uh, flaws uh, in my personality for, you know, probably getting on Twitter and tweeting about a, a player that, you know, has a medical condition. But it, if I'm not betting it, somebody else is. Fair enough. And you mentioned going to South Point where they recognize you a little bit. No surprise for anybody who just heard about your background and knows about the team operating the South Point Sportsbook. So when it comes to that factor, what's your point of view on trying to get enough down to make it worth your while without risking getting an account banned or limited? Well, I mean, today specifically, I mean, anything that I tried to bet over 200 bucks required a player's card. And when you're betting on news like that, uh, you don't want to use, you don't want to be using players' cards because that use a player's card. You're betting on information that quickly, that'll get you banned. Uh, whether you're betting at South Point or, or, or pretty much any book, uh, maybe outside of Circa. So try avoid using that. Getting enough down. I mean, it, it's never usually a problem for me. And people might roll their eyes at that. Oh, I mean, he's just, you know, he's not a big time. He's not betting, you know, five figures a game. It's not a problem for me because I'm getting down enough volume. Uh, and I've already bet Wake Forest season win total on the season. I bet it like three months ago at William Hill. So it, it, it's usually just getting down a little bit extra. It's probably squeezing that last little bit uh, of what I perceive to be value out of the market at this time of year. So it's not an issue for me. What I do is I have other people bet for me during the season, whether it's in Vegas or in faraway places. I try not to get too greedy. I mean, I'll give you an example. I'm not the type of guy that's, you know, betting Draymond Green props and parlaying them when it, you know, it's announced that he's going to play for a minute and then he's going to sub out. I'm not making those types of plays, at least not under uh, you know, a player's card or on an app where they can track something like that. Got it. And when it comes to the human element of all this, how do you compartmentalize things as a better when you're also acknowledging that something serious has happened to another person, you know, going ahead and trying to aggressively fade news of this nature? I call it a personality flaw. Uh, I, I know many Nine times, nine people out of 10 are probably thinking, oh, my God, you know, thoughts and prayers. My I guess my first thought process, because I read the news at 505 this morning was I got to get dressed. And I got to get to the South Point and make some bets. So that's just I guess it's just built into me. Uh, it's <laughs> we'll see when I'm judged at the end of my life. I probably won't be judged too 
uh, hopefully not too harshly, but it's just how I think, at least in this industry. And I know it's not for everybody, but I, I immediately, how can I get some value out of this? And sometimes that's the way that you have to think to stand the test of time in this whole endeavor. I think that that brings to mind, you know, on, on my own end, not operating at nearly as high a level as you are, but I would consider one of my biggest strengths as a better is the ability to remain objective. And in my case, that can mean playing on or against anyone whenever value presents itself. And that could include my alma mater, USC. I know that you've already mentioned uh, a stance that I agree with looking at their regular season win total under nine and a half. I am still seeing as low as minus 105 big. So some reduced juice attached to that number at one pretty well-established offshore. I think consensus price more along the lines of laying a little bit of extra VIG in the minus 120 range. And you touched on a couple factors in an awesome interview with Las Vegas Chris and Ron a couple weeks back. Yes, USC's got a lot of talent, but a lack of continuity and depth could really rear its head as the season progresses. With that in mind, if we're talking USC under 9.5 at this stage of the offseason, is there a price ceiling when it comes to how much VIG you would lay on that under nine and a half number attached to the Trojans win total. So I talk about a lot of great bets that I made. I laid a lot of juice on that win total thinking that was going to be the best number that I was going to get. I saw nine and a half. I'm like, Oh my God, nine and a half. I mean, how is it that high? Laid minus 140 at that time. That was a mistake by me. I should have been thinking, what is the market going to be doing? I mean, the public's going to get involved if they do bet season win totals, when are they going to bet them? They're going to bet them late in the summer. Uh, I, I did not anticipate the market accordingly uh, on USC as far as how popular they've been. Maybe my power ratings haven't upgraded them high enough, even though I think they're the most improved team in the country. They're the most improved team in my power ratings among the power five teams. I just, with that being said though, as negative as I am on that win total at nine and a half, and I'd still make the bet, it, everything comes down to a number. And with that being said, you know, South Point Chris Andrews opens up a bunch of, of game of the year lines. I have no, you know, thought process coming into that thinking, oh, I'm going to bet on USC. I think there's going to be value on the Trojans. I found myself betting on on every single game that he posted, whether it was against Notre Dame, UCLA, a bunch at Stanford in week two. I bet on I bet on USC. So to me, I guess my stance is it's always going to be price dependent. Uh, you know, generally speaking, I think they're overrated. And, and if you're talking specifically to this season, you know, the issues for them, I think, is depth. I think obviously the defense, while improved, is still going to have some issues. I'm not a big fan of the offensive line. And, you know, you, you got 50 new players to that roster. I mean, how is it all going to gel? I mean, for them to win, beat me on that season win total, everything's going to have to, you're going to have to check yes to hardly any injuries. Everyone's going to have to gel accordingly. Uh, nobody on their schedule is going to, you know, be a, a significant overachiever. Uh, so I, I just, I mean, everything has to go right, in my opinion, for USC to, to win 10 games this year. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I like I'm under the season win total. But with that being said, I still have bets on USC. One of those games where things are going to have to go their way to beat us on this win total would be their game at Utah, probably the toughest game on the schedule. And I'd like to dig in on that point spread just a little bit because I am seeing two prominent regulated U.S. books offering pretty different lines here for the same game, plus four and a half at one book, plus three at another. And when we're talking discrepancy that big around some key numbers, I've got to think by definition, one of those lines is wrong. 
How do you go about identifying which of those lines is wrong and how you would attack it? If you think those are disparate and, and there's some discrepancies, I'm involved on both teams in that game. I bet Utah plus three and I have USC plus nine. So that's one that I thought was, I mean, if you're going to give me a 12 point middle, I think the line should be Utah, maybe four and a half, maybe six at, at most. I think so. I mean, I, I'd probably lay three right now, but I mean, I got plus three. And I know I'm saying this, you know, oh, look at me. I got the bets. I mean, that's why I specialize. And if I'm going to give any advice to anybody outside of shopping for the best number is if you want to win in the industry, specialize uh, and attack these early markets. Because me versus the sportsbook director in April, I'm a favorite against him because I'm specializing in college football. Me on college football Saturday betting a USC game, I'm not laying 110. I'm not the favorite. I'm the underdog in that situation, no matter how good or, or how much time I spent, I'm spending during the season. You got to respect the market when they're much more liquid. Uh, again, depends on your power ratings in that game. I tend to think Utah's a bad matchup for USC at the line of scrimmage. So, I mean, if you want to bet that game right now, I'm laying three with Utah. Fair enough. I think a key point you touched on was the inefficiencies of the market early on in the offseason and the increasing efficiency we get across the marketplace as kickoff approaches. So with this next question, I'll preface it much more interested in process like we've been talking so far than any specific picks. And it can be tough to say, even if there are, you know, a lot of picks with any good value right now, but do you see any actionable angles as we look at the current slate of futures or week zero and one lines that are now much more widely available? Okay, let me say this. Why is there so much discrepancy in the market? I think some of it has to do with the transfer portal and so much uncertainty in the market where one sports book's going to open that Utah game, USC favored by three, another book's going to come. I didn't even get the best number uh, on uh, the, uh, on the USC side. Chris Andrews at South Point opened 12 on that game, so a 15-point difference. So there's a lot of uncertainty. Talking about that, here's what's going to happen in week zero, week one. I'm not saying that there's a lot of ton of great value, at least because I've been almost every game so far. Here's one thing that you need to look out for, and this is after the week zero games. There's actually 10 week zero games. What I find year after year is because there's such limited games, people are excited about football. They finally see something on the field. What I tend to see happens is overreaction to any of those teams that are playing in week zero. So what happens is, you know, I, I did this research a couple of years ago because of the COVID season. We had, you know, teams that have played already one, two, three, four games against teams that haven't played already. And it's actually a negative to play, to have a game under your belt, oh, old school lingo there. That game on your belt can be a negative. Number one, people overreact to what they just saw, especially if it's positive a team, you know, they, they went by 35 points in their opener. Ooh, wow. This team's going to be really good. Number two, I think, uh, I think it's better to have film on your opponent than actually ha have played that game. I mean, especially with film and you got all these different assistants now and these analysts that can break down the game at, at certain positions, individual players, individual position groups. I, what I found was since 2000, if you have already had a game under your belt and you're playing a team that's playing their season opener, the team that has game experience is 46%. What kind of sample size? We're dealing with a, a couple hundred game sample size now at this point. So 
the, I would think that's what I'd be looking to take advantage uh, with week one is to see if there's some overreactions to what happens in week zero, if that makes sense. Makes all the sense in the world. I, I love that nugget because a team that plays in week zero, just in terms of the team's talent and chemistry in a vacuum, probably going to be in a good spot come week one for that experience. But some of the outside factors when we're looking at this as betters, might tell a different story. So I love that peek behind the curtain when it comes to your perspective as a pro better. And one other factor I'd like to touch on when it comes to how you approach things professionally would be what I think you touched on with Chris and Ron, a little bit more live betting in your arsenal these days. If that's true, how would you describe your overall approach to betting live as we get ready for the 2022 season to kick off? Well, I mean, it is a good way to get limited (laughs) if you're doing it. So I, I tend to try to get off positions that I no longer like if I'm a little heavy on a pre-flop position, meaning that I bet early in the week and, you know, it doesn't look like my, my particular play is going to work out too well. I try getting off positions that, that I'm heavy on. Number two, with every single game mainly televised now, I'm just looking at new information. What do I mean by that? Simple quarterback getting hurt. I mean, now, the, the live betting aspect is a little tougher to take advantage with the delays in broadcasting. It, you know, if you're streaming, it, it, it can be pretty negative where, where it's already building the number by the time you're looking at, at the sports book to, to make that bet. I'm also looking to take advantage of weather. I mean, the weather can change um, during a course of a three-hour game. So, I, I mean, if the weather turns bad, obviously I, I'm live betting under. Another thing that I tend to see, uh, it, it's what's called MOTS, more of the same. If you just see a team just grinding a team down into submission and there's, they have no answer, uh, particularly I, I go back to a couple of years ago, the BYU Navy season opener, and BYU just couldn't – I mean, Navy couldn't stop BYU at all. I mean, you just it, it didn't matter that the, the in-game line for BYU went from 7, 14, 21, 28, all positive EV bets if you're watching the game, uh, and – the blowout was obvious. It wasn't a, a point in that game where I thought Navy was going to make a comeback. So uh, that's kind of what I'm looking for in live betting. Nothing, you know, that, that's going to make people, you know, breaking news. Oh, wow, that's so sharp. It's just new, new information that, that I'm looking to take advantage of. And I'm also, I will say this, it, I know there's limited books that, that'll have some of the smaller games. I'm looking to bet probably more in faraway places. Those game, those uh, Mac games. Not, I'm not talking about the Tuesday or Wednesday night games in November. I'm talking about the Mac games on a Saturday with 50 other games. I'm looking to take advantage of maybe some of those games that the sportsbook directors aren't paying attention to. Two things you said there reminded me of the late great David Malinsky. One, when you mentioned more of the same, he had a phrase: letting go of the rope. A lot of teams at a certain point, you know, even throughout what you thought before the game, if they're just getting steamrolled. You know, kind of your Mott's example, I think if teams let go of the rope, they almost can't set the number high enough on the team that's doing the dominating. And you also touched on the notion of Matt games on a Saturday afternoon with 50 other games in progress. I recall from speaking with Dave that if he was trying to watch games live and really follow them closely, he wouldn't want more than three screens in front of him at the same time. Otherwise, it was just not possible to focus properly at the level he needed to. When you're betting games live, there are so many games on a Saturday. How many do you try to follow at a given moment? And what's your setup look like in terms of the number of screens that you've got going come a busy Saturday in the fall? Uh, I'm going to try for nine this year, believe it or not. Uh, I'll, yeah, I mean, it might be 
paralysis by too much, but I, I, it doesn't mean that I'm trying to foul closely. I, I'm just, it's going to be more background noise. It's going to be, you know, uh, I happen to look up, oh my God, you know, th- th- there's, you know, heavy rain in, in a game now. It didn't, didn't look like that way, you know, when the game kicked off a couple hours ago, and just mainly for that. that. That's the only purpose. It's not like I'm, you know, really intensely paying attention to a, uh, a few games. I think Malinsky's about right, about th- anything more than three that you're really keenly paying attention to. You're trying to listen to some of the the announcing and following it play by play. I, I don't know how anybody can really do more than three games, but I, I certainly oh, not afraid to have as many screens as possible in front of me, just so I can ma- mainly glance up at, at every few minutes to see what the hell is going on in a game. You touched on extreme weather as something that could break through even with as many as nine screens in front of you. Earlier on, you also mentioned factors like injuries or just a team really dominating its opponent when it comes to your approach to live betting among those three factors or perhaps anything else do you find that any tend to be more consistently mispriced than the others if somebody here is listening and and wants to just try to focus on one or two things to look for sometimes i think quarterback is mispriced and not in the way you think sometimes i think it's overvalued so why do i watch for the coming full, full circle why do i watch spring games not necessarily a lot of times for the starters it's for the backups. How capable is the backup quarterback? If the if the starter gets hurt during a game, can a guy come in and be at least competent? Oh, so a lot of times I, I think it gets overvalued into that betting market. Oh, starting quarterback. I mean, I, I paid the price a couple years ago. A starting quarterback got hurt in a game. Brandon Peterson, Illinois, they're playing Nebraska. I even tweet out, oh, you got to bet Nebraska. Uh, and I bet it significantly. Just so happened the backup uh, came in. Let it come back. They were trailing in the game. Let, let it come back. That's where I, you know, kind of got exposed in, in that instance where I overreacted to a quarterback injury. So I, that right there, because uh, I took a lot of flack for it, I think even freezing cold takes and all the people on Twitter got after me. It made me kind of look at it from a different perspective. So sometimes I think I, I'll wait a little bit to see if the market overcorrect overcorrects itself as far as uh, quarterback injury and I'll fade the move in that instance. I, I'm not sure that a lot of people are doing that. Yeah. That reminds me a few years back, the Minnesota Vikings in training camp news came out that Teddy Bridgewater had suffered a pretty serious injury. And before anything was official, it seemed like a safe assumption that he would miss the whole season or at least a considerable piece of it. And I was able to get down on what had been the market consensus number on the Vikings regular season win total, assuming a healthy Bridgewater. Thought it was an awesome bet. And I was just getting by on the skin of my teeth come the last game of the season. They they just got home. I believe it was just by the hook. People who were late to that number ended up losing because the backup, you know, sometimes these quarterback situations can generate a lot of headlines. But it's not always easy to know, you know, just what constitutes a proper reaction. So I love that insight, even from somebody in your position. There is often just as much an art to this as there is a science. And I think that connects to one other topic I'd like to touch on with you as we look ahead to this coming college football season. You're about as prepared as anybody could possibly be at this point. And yet, if we think about teams, players, coaches, some stuff that we'll see early on this coming season... Is there anything you're going to be looking for most closely once the games begin that can perhaps change and better inform your approach as the rest of the season unfolds? So as much as confident as I am in my power ratings uh, right now, 
there is a lot. I mean, it is a rel- relatively historic season as as far as the team's inexperience. Last year, with all the super seniors from the COVID getting that extra year of eligibility, uh, th- th- there were more known commodities. So, so what I'm getting at is because of the transfer portal, because of all those super seniors graduating along with last year's senior class, we're dealing with teams that, that I mean, there's still some – unknowns. I mean, they're only returning on average, like 11 returning starters when last year it was in the 16 range. So what I'm getting at is I'll probably anticipate making more adjustments in my power rings, being more aggressive early on. If I, if, if I'm off on a team, okay, I'm just off. I mean, this team, that the, the experience that they, the inexperienced teams, as far as maybe I didn't see a spring game accordingly, they're better than what I anticipated or they're worse than I anticipated. I'll probably be more aggressive after week one, week two, consider, you know, taking into consideration who they're actually playing in those games, more aggressive in, in some of my corrections, as far as power ratings, if that makes sense. Uh, some years I usually am a little conservative because I trust my power rating and my process so well this year, because it's a different, a unique type of situation. I, I won't be afraid to, 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 to change. And moving forward, this type of situation might not be so unique. If we zoom out a little bit, you touch on the transfer portal. In addition to that, we've got NIL, a lot of realignment on the near-term horizon. How do you think those factors in the future could impact things from a betting standpoint? Well, I mean, more uncertainty is great. So as a fan, I'm not a huge fan of, of USC and UCLA being a traditional college football fan playing in the Big Ten. But as a better, love it opportunity we've never seen how does the travel impact usc when they're playing a bunch of games across the country how does the weather impact a team like usc playing in, in november and whatnot um, also is going to affect other sports obviously basketball where there's even more travel more games and whatnot so i i like a conference realignment because it's stuff that we've never seen before and if you're specializing in that particular sport I would like to, and you're a professional and you're betting actual money on this. I would like to think that you can price this stuff better than at least some of the sports books who are opening up these games and have to deal with five or six different sports and every team in the country. So I, I'm a fan of it because I think it's going to offer more value. And to put that in perspective, I mean, I didn't come into this offseason thinking I was going to make 300 college football bets already at this point. I just think there's so much uncertainty and so much discrepancy in how people are pricing different things that that's creating some value, at least as far as I'm concerned. And it's allowing me to to make more bets than ever before and positive EV bets that, that at least that, that's what I think at this point. That dovetails nicely with one of my mantras, chaos breeds opportunity. It's not always easy to sift out where the opportunity lies when we're in the middle of all the chaos but learning to embrace that can go a long way to a proper long-term approach. And as you touch on the weather, being curious to see how it affects you know, teams like USC and UCLA going back east later in the fall, that's certainly something that will be interesting to quantify and see how the market quantifies it, if there's any value there. Going the other way, I'm not sure if I've heard any discussion on what it could be like for teams you know, from the Midwest or the East Coast coming out west in late october early november we could still have some days that are well into the 90s and you know usc or ucla might have some snow to deal with a time or two but the college football season really doesn't run that deep into the fall unless you're in a conference title game or getting ready for bowl season it's quite possible that some of these big 10 teams might find themselves out of their element late october early november in southern california 
It get ninety some degrees late October, early November in California. Uh, it's yeah, it's later and later. We're we're in mid August now, and I feel all like right. I fair enough. Like we are we are just approaching the the peak. You know, every time we clear July, early August, people are like, "All right, summer's over, back to school season." I don't know. I've been I've been at the Coliseum well into October in triple digit temps, just sweating my butt okay. off. Um, we'll see what happens with some of these Big Ten teams. I just brought that up as a point that yes, USC and UCLA could find themselves out of their element, but it could possibly cut the other way as well. I, I kind of wink, wink, nod to that because I grew up in Big Ten country. And I had to hear the belly aching of Big Ten fans talk about, you know, the heat in California played on New Year's Day and perfect temperature, 75 degrees. And the Big Ten teams couldn't, you know, coming from 20 degree weather, couldn't adjust properly, even though they were out there for a week or two practicing. Mm-hmm. I, I, that was more of a nod towards that line of thinking than anything, Matt. Yeah, fair enough. Well, like you said, with all the uncertainty, everybody can have their angle that they're looking to pursue. But once uh, push comes to shove and we see these games on the field, uh, we'll be able to put our money where our mouths are and see how that all nets out. And Brad, one other connection I wanted to make as we're having this conversation beyond betting specifics in your background, we're both journalism grads, as I understand it. And I'm curious to see from your perspective, if there are any transferable skills from your background in journalism and what you're currently doing on a day-to-day basis. So no one has ever asked me that before. And I appreciate that. Uh, I would have said five years ago would have said that not too much now with legalization now with, I mean, as far as social media, as far as us doing this right now is much more common where, you know, just five, six years ago in order to do something like this, a lot of times, and, you know, your, it was your standard mediums, TV, radio, or, or whatnot. Uh, I think it's helped quite a bit. Uh, does it help me win bets? No. But does it help me from a marketing aspect, getting my name out there, sounding like I have a clue on something, being well, you know, spoken in, in some areas? I think it has helped me. I think journalism, I mean, I'm older, so it's changed so much. I mean, I was on that cusp of being a print journalist but I kind of knew that ah, the newspaper industry is probably not going to, you know, I could see it even at that point when I was in college that it was going to take a, a significant downturn. So I just, even though I didn't have much of a desire in broadcast journalism at that time, I, I loved writing more than anything. I switched my major to broadcast journalism just because I thought, you know, video was going to be more prominent and that would help me at least in the future. Uh, although my professors and a lot of my, you know, students said, I mean, if you're going to do broadcast journalism, you probably want to stick the radio looking at uh, yourself in the mirror. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm joking there, although I'm sure they were thinking it. I I know I was, uh, yeah, I think it's helped. Uh, I mean, I'm more natural at it, but I think a lot of people are natural at it. I I mean, if you know what you're talking about uh, you just flip on, you know, TV or whatever, or, you know, social media, your webcam, and you know what you're doing, you know what you're doing. Somebody else who was a natural we can weave into this part of the conversation, the late, great David Molinsky. I'd like to get into a two-parter on this week's Molinsky Minute. First off, it can sound counterintuitive, but Dave is one of the people who I think really exemplified just how much structure can create freedom. Those seem to be clashing forces 
But Dave's ability to be so regimented and do what he needed to do on the betting side when he needed to do it, I think really unlocked a lot of doors for his other pursuits that had seemingly nothing to do with betting. So to that end, I'm wondering if you could walk us through your weekly routine during the college football season and what impact that might have on the rest of your life beyond betting. Oh, wow. Really good question. There's not much of a lot. I, I've struggled with balance, uh, healthy balance. Uh, I mean, I'm not as healthy as I should be in my eating habits and whatnot uh, during football. It, it's really regimented. I, I'll tell you, I can tell you what I'm doing almost every hour of every single day during the week, during those four months of football. I, I, I'll have an idea of what I'm doing at that particular time. I don't know if it's necessarily health, healthy. I think it does that structure does help me stay on task each and every week. Uh, I'd like to think that it helps me make more positive EV bets and, you know, allows me to, to maybe catch something like a, a Sam Hartman in type injury situation that, that I'm so regimented that I know what I'm looking for, but there are some sacrifices to that. Uh, your personal life isn't great. Uh, uh, your again, your eating eating habits, your healthy habits, just aren't there. At least for me, during football season, so th- th- there's some give and take there. Absolutely, I do think that when you are dialed in enough to a routine, it can also help transition us to part two of this Malinsky minute. Not losing sight of the human element in all this, and thinking about Dave for a moment. He told me that Saturday nights were sacred time for him, really devoted to grading games from earlier in the day with an intense focus. And he would also mention that he loved to do it. You talked about if you've got nine screens on, just having some background noise at a certain point. He would tell me about the joys of rooting in a USC bet on a Saturday night while grading his games at his desk, TV on in the background, hearing the sound of the Trojan marching band. Some of that had to be pandering with him knowing my background as a USC grad. <laughs> but, but it's pretty cool to be going through the numbers and still appreciating you know, the sport, just keeping in touch with what got all of us interested in it in the first place. And I think something you did, going back to you know your roots of what's so beautiful about college football, a recent stadium tour that I understand covered 24 stadiums across 17 states, more than 5,500 miles of driving. So I'd love it if you could tell us about that trip. So first off, let me say about Dave, uh, kind of a kindred spirit. I mean, when I was, you know, working with him for a couple of years in 16 and 17, uh, not only the football season, but year round and stuff, uh, had a lot of this similar taste as far as not just, you know, the sports betting aspect, but wanting to do other things in life. And one thing that I like about a specialization is, you know, there, there can be some downtime if you're not going from sport to sport to sport and you got to make time for that. And, I'll say this. I, I'm a college football fan first, at least early on in my life. I mean, I wasn't thinking about, you know, when I was 20, I wasn't thinking about the betting aspect, believe it or not. I know a lot of people are already, you know, running pools and whatnot in college and that I wasn't, I, I was a college football fan, a majority of my young life. And I'm still a fan. Now I have to separate that from, from the betting aspect. And, but th- that passion's still there. And, I like, I mean, I can't do it during the season for obvious reasons, go to a bunch of different games, at least at this point in my career. But what I can do is during the summer, after I got a bunch of those bets already made, and I don't think there's too many new markets opening up, I can go around this great country. And Dave was a guy that used to travel a lot. Uh, he would take some time in the summer and do some stuff. Uh I like it, getting on the road, seeing the country stuff I haven't seen before, going to these stadiums. I mean, 
that to me it was I know a lot of people are like, wow, that's your vacation. You didn't want to sit at a beach somewhere. No, I, I, I like going up and down and seeing stuff. And there is a little bit of a betting aspect to it. I if I can get inside that stadium, look around like I'll give you an example. Wyoming last year I went to I, I, I was looking at, you know, factors. If the wind comes out of the south, uh, you know, what kind of impact would that have looking at the stadium dynamic? And, you know, I kind of, from watching Wyoming games for a long time, I noticed that maybe the wind hasn't had as big of a factor in recent years. And my hypothesis was being on the field at that stadium was they have pine trees in the end zone. So it's not enclosed. There's pine trees. And my thought process was, I think these pine trees over the last you know, I've grown over the last 20 some years of watching Wyoming football. So maybe it's not that wind's not cutting in there from a certain aspect. So yeah, I, as much as the fan experience and it's all fun, I still am thinking betting uh, in a little bit of the back of my mind, believe it or not. No edge too small to dig for yeah. even on that kind of vacation. And I've got a couple rapid fire questions for you about the stadium tour. What would you say were the most and least impressive stadiums you visited? Well, the easily the least was Kansas. I mean, it, I mean, I don't say this lightly, but it was a dump. Uh, I mean, if you want to know why Kansas football has been the worst Power Five program the last 10, 15 years, look no further than that stadium. And I got to tell you, almost all the uh, the group of five stadiums that I visited were better than Kansas, at least as far as appearance, upkeep, just looking around the stadium, and whatnot. I mean, I I just couldn't believe how you know it, it was. I mean, it was a dump. So uh, Kansas was the least impressive. I'll say something positive, uh, though, about the state of Kansas. Most impressive to me was probably Kansas State. Not only the college town of Manhattan, the area around it, it's called the Flint Hills. It kind of reminds me of Ireland. Uh, I mean, it's tall grasses. It's green as far as the eye could see, rolling hills. I mean, I just, I'm pretty familiar with geography in the U.S. That was something I wasn't familiar with, and I, I was really surprised in how beautiful that area was around. And then, I mean, I like college towns. Another reason why I like doing the trip. I mean, I just love college towns. I think that's America. I'm not talking the bigger cities like Phoenix and whatnot with Arizona state. I'm talking about your Manhattan, Kansas is your Ann Arbor, Michigan's. I went to Boulder for the first time. Those are the types of towns and cities that I like, you know, to see what the overall vibe is. That leads us well into the second question here. What would you say were some of the best non-football moments that you experienced during your stadium tour? Probably one for me was seeing Mike the Tiger. He's the LSU mascot, if you're not a college football fan, and he's a a live Bengal tiger. (laughs) They have a really nice habitat. I mean, I think a lot of zoos across the world would be impressed with his habitat. Uh, he probably lives better than most human beings, but he just so happened to be out. He was like up against the fence, just chilling, laying down. I got within a foot of him. It's on my video that I did of the stadium. It's literally right across the street. I mean, not, not even a major street. I'm just talking like a little pathway. So, I mean, I thought that was super cool to see that. And, and that's part of the traditions and the stuff that I really am, why I'm a fan of college football. A big part of the college football fan experience for many of us as well would we then the other pillar of this podcast, the hops. And I understand that you're more into dark liquor than beer these days. That is perfectly palatable. When it comes to your drinking habits this day and age, do you have a favorite beer or cocktail that you like to turn to when it's time to take off the edge just a bit? Uh, that's a good question. I don't drink as much as I used to for obvious reasons. Uh, 
I probably would like to, but I just can't, I can't handle it like I did in my college days or the recovering process for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, e- even after a couple, uh, the one that I found here recently that I really like, and if you're ever in Vegas, I thought it was an excellent cocktail, a little bit pricey depending on what your bankroll is. But if you're down at Circa and a lot of you guys that are watching this like Circa, obviously it's a brand new sports book. It's huge. A lot of people like going there. Go to Vegas Vicky's. It's one of the you know higher end cocktail places there. And if you like the dark liquor, get yourself an old fashioned. They do that smoke thing over the top of it. Uh, I it's one of my favorite drinks that I've had in the last five to ten years. I mean, it tastes in a tastes like a campfire in like a good way with the smoke, and it just reminds me of fall. Bringing it full circle here, it just reminds me of a, a, a late fall evening. You know, just taking the load off a little bit. I mean, perfect drink if you like college football and a little bit of the darker liquor. I like that tip on exploring some of what Circa has to offer, not just from a betting standpoint, but also (laughs) on the cocktail side of things. Because while I was out there for Bet Bash, I had one of the best old fashions of my life above Vegas Vicky's at, I believe it's the Marilyn Monroe High Roller Lounge right next to 8 East. It's not open every night. It's kind of a bit of a speakeasy vibe where I think they have a wall with Marilyn Monroe's picture on it. And when it's not open, it just, you know, looks like a, a curtain or the end of a room. But usually I think weekend evenings, they'll open it up and it, it's a small bar and they make exceptional cocktails. Also with that bash having a cheap excuse to get to the legacy club every night, a lot of good offerings yep. there, but Vegas Vicky's definitely high on my radar for the next time I'm in that neighborhood. Can't go wrong. There's a lot of places that I really, even outside the sports book on why I've, Hell, I, you know, it wasn't just Bet Bash that I stayed down there. There's a lot of times I just stay down there for a, a staycation. Circa is my spot, my go to spot in Las Vegas. Yeah, my wife's telling me that I'm becoming obsessed with Circa, but I think I'm starting <laughs> to take that as more of a compliment with each passing day, the more good work yeah. that they do. So, Brad, I, I want to uh, start to wrap us up here. And as we hit the home stretch, want to thank everybody for watching and listening. If you're listening to this conversation in podcast form and you've enjoyed it, The number one way you can support the show is to take just a few seconds, leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. One more friendly reminder about that meetup in LA this Friday, August 12th, 7 p.m. at We're Pouring in Glendale, an evening of betting and beer, also some food and wine available, organized by myself and pro bettors Joey Isaacs and Porter. If you're hearing this, you are invited. Last but not least, Brad, want to plug your work so people can know how to follow you if they're not doing so already. On Twitter, at BradPowers7. Also, BradPowersSports.com. Some good work you'll be doing with Covers.com this coming season. Anything else I'm missing or anything you'd like to add? No, I think you hit the nail on the head. Just, you know, follow me on Twitter, at BradPowers7. You'll get college football information. I'm snarky in some instances, so get used to that if you're going to look to follow me on Twitter. Sounds good. It's a worthwhile follow. I can fully endorse that. Brad, once again, thanks for the time and insight. And I hope that we have the chance to meet in person pretty soon in Vegas. And maybe we can coerce our mutual friend, Las Vegas Chris, into a nice Thai meal at Lotus of Siam. (laughs) Absolutely. Awesome interview here. Really appreciate you uh, having me on here, Matt.